Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Today on the show, we're going to talk a little about improving seed emergence. I don't care what crop you raise. It's important to get a great stand. Last thing you want to do is spend a bunch of money on seed and it doesn't come out of the ground. So we'll talk today about things you can do to hopefully help that out a little bit. If you've got any questions for us, you can certainly call us here. 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. All right, so in just a minute, we'll get to the Ag PhD mailbag. The first thing that I want to say, though, when, I mean, to kind of kick things off about our improving seed emergence talk is this. For most crops, it pays to plant early, at least in the northern United States. We don't have a long growing season or anything like that, and every day you delay, it's just now you have a shorter growing season. Now you have less chance to reach maturity, and now you have to look at, hey, maybe I need to plant an earlier maturing variety. Well, most of the time that means less yield and less net income. So when you're going to plant early, you're going to be dealing with cold soils and potentially wet soils. So that's what makes this thing so unbelievably challenging. And then let's stack on top of that. If you've harvested in the fall, the odds are slim that you had a whole lot of heat to break down that residue from fall. So now most of that residue is left out there in the spring and most people are reducing tillage every year, it seems like. So you've got lots of residue to deal with. You got cold and wet soils and you're trying to get fantastic emergence. How in the world are you going to make that happen? So the number one thing I guess I would tell you is, first of all, you got to make sure that your seed actually has a great germination and cold germination score. And while the germination percentage will be on every label of every seed that's sold out there, cold germination is not required in most areas. So you don't know. And the only way you're going to know is if you get the seed in a little early and you send it in for a test. Okay. So this is a really big deal. Even if let's say you plant and the soil temp is 55 degrees. Well, we've had it quite often where we plant and it's 50 or 55 degrees in the spring. And within two days, the soil temp's down below 40 degrees because we had a cold snap come through. So when you get cold weather coming through, it does not take very long to lower the soil temp down at the two inch depth where you planted that seed or however deep you did plant the seed. It's not very deep. So it doesn't take long to change that temperature. And all I'm saying is when you get really cold temps and, and let's say you got a little bit moist soil, it's going to be, it's going to be real challenge. And you've got to protect that seed from diseases, from insects, and maybe even give it some extra kind of boost in addition to having a good warm germ and cold germination score. So anyway, we'll talk about some of the details of that and a number of other things throughout the show today. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, Brian, first questions today come from James. He said, long story short, I'm a young farmer in the process of buying out a retiring farmer who owns all his own land. I've been helping him out for a couple of years and and farming on my own here. He said, we were conventional corn and soybean operation. We've been strip tilling our bean stubble, going to corn for the last 10 years or so. And we're trying to place nutrients down seven or eight inches deep. I used your fertilizer removal app. We've been cutting the rates 
Uh, and here's the first thing that kind of stood out to me, Brian. He said, we're doing a 70 to 75% rate based on your fertilizer removal app. And we're banding that in the strip seven or eight inches deep. One of the things that I look at, and, and here, James, I guess would be my first comment, and I'll get to the rest of your question here in just a second. When we look at what the crop is going to remove, that's what the crop is going to remove. I don't think I would cut from that. To me, that's the baseline of what I have to put out if I want my fertilizer test to stay the same. Right. Now, if I'm really, really high in something, they say I'm really high in K, well, no problem. Cut the rate, and right. you'll see those K numbers start going down, and right. it's no big deal because you were too high to begin with. But I'm not sure that we are too high to begin with that I'd be cutting any rates. What do you see on the test, Brian, just right off Well, the, top the only here? thing that I would even consider at a moderate level would be phosphorus and and iron, I guess. But everything else I look at as low or very low. So potassium, I'd rate as very low. Sulfur, very low. Uh, zinc is actually not bad. I, I mean, you, I, I could live with the zinc. It's a little on the low side, though. Manganese, low. Copper, definitely low. Boron, definitely low. So the point is, there is an extra there to try to extract. And so I agree with Darren 100%. I would not be cutting the rates beyond the fertilizer removal app. You have to look at this the other way around. When you broadcast, you need to put on more than what crop removal is because your roots, number one, aren't going to find it. And number two, you're going to get more tie-up than when you band it like in strip tail. So that's pretty much what studies have shown. If you look at phosphorus and potassium, you got to put on 50% more in broadcast as opposed to when you band. It's not that you can take a broadcast rate and cut it by two-thirds if your broadcast rate was literally only at crop removal. Unless, to Darren's point, you are really long on something and you're not long on anything here. So I'd start bumping those rates up. Otherwise, it's not going to be long and you'll have all your soil fertility depleted and then your yields are going to start to suffer. Okay. Now, James said he was going to send in two different fields of testing here. James, the only one we got is the the one that you're calling fertilizer shed. The uh, the other one that's called home is not included on your email. So if you want to send that to us, we'd be happy to take a look at it. On the one that he didn't include, Brian, he said the pH is off when it's up close behind the house. And he thinks some things got buried out in the field out in that area. Would buried material happen to throw the pH off? You know, it's possible, James, that they did, didn't did carefully take the topsoil aside and, exactly. and put the subsoil back over the stuff first and then cover with the topsoil. I'm guessing you probably have a topsoil-subsoil mix, Yep. and that's probably what's throwing you off. Agreed. Yeah, we've had some of that on our own farm, too. There have been plenty of things over the years. I mean, when an area's been settled for more than 100 years, yeah, a lot of stuff's happened over that time. There's an old building site or some trees or whatever that got got buried and they, they dug a hole out in a field because it was convenient. Well, James, thank you for the questions. We appreciate it. And again, if you want to send in any additional samples, please do. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. 
Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Goose deck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at OpenSkyHerbicide.com. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Bill wants plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're going to talk about something that pertains to everyone. If you're planting a seed, you're going to want to hear today's show. We're talking about improving seed emergence, and we're going to look at it from a variety of different fronts. First of all, when I think about getting that seed in the ground, getting great seed to soil contact, it comes down to your planter and how good a job you're going to do operating that equipment. We're really happy to have David Brennan with us right now with Case IH to talk about this. David, thanks for joining us. Hey, you bet. Glad to be on. Okay, so as we're getting out there with the planter, uh, obviously there's brand new planters, there's planters that have been around for a while. My contention is this, and you can tell me if, if I'm right or wrong here, I just think we're not being fussy enough with that planter, that we've got good equipment, that we just aren't making all the adjustments and, and replacing all those replaceable parts as often as we should. We're maybe trying to pinch pennies. What What's your take? Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that at all. I mean, as we look at it within Case H and we look at, you know, the agronomic drivers behind you know, you know, what we would consider photocopy plants, we kind of break it down into four four buckets, really, you know. And if you look at number one, the first one we usually talk about would be proper seed depth and focusing on or trying to focus that back on the iron pieces you know, on that planter. So that disc openers and sure that those are spaced properly that they're not worn too much, um, we don't have bearing issues, you know, those iron pieces. And we try to focus these these four drivers back into these iron pieces, like I said. Um, you know, and, and as we look at the second kind of driver, you know, is uniform spacing, you know, across that planter. And that comes down to some, some unique things about the Case IH planter, but really about all planters and making sure that if I set row number two at, a two-inch planting depth, well, by gosh, rows, you know, 18, 
10, 12, all ought to be at two inches as well. And we've got the ability to zero that row unit out and make sure that that depth is uniform across the width of that planter. So that's important too. And it's all stuff that can be done and should be done really pre-season, uh, you know, well ahead of that uh, that planning window. Uh, go time hits, it's, uh, it's, you know, fast and furious. Yeah, um, and I, I think that's part of it too, David, is as you're buzzing through those fields, and I, I know not everybody's got – a perfect field where we're operating with lots of residue out in the fields. In some areas, things are rocky or hilly and uneven terrain. Things get out of adjustment, and, and not every row unit is going to wear exactly the same. I, I've just seen farmers that have said, man, I spent a lot of time getting that depth all set, and then I got 500 acres in, and I checked the depth, and, man, I had a couple rows that were off. And my, my response is always, wait, why did you wait 500 acres before you checked again? These things vary through the season. They, they change. I, I just don't see guys getting out enough and checking across the planter. And I've, I've been guilty, too, of just, oh, I checked a row or two, and I think things are fine, but I didn't check across all 24. Well, I think I've heard. I think I've heard you say it before. We did it to ourselves, right? The tractor cabs are too nice, right? They're too comfortable. <laughs> they are, that, right? Well, there's nothing wrong with that. I so, don't so want to change that, David. Don't change that. <laughs> right, absolutely. Uh, but it's 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 uh, you know we call it ground truthing, right? And and it's important to do that on you know an absolutely regular basis, uh, as nice or as nice as that tractor cab is. Get out and let's ground truth it. Um, Let's get out there with a simple, I prefer to use a, a nice plastic three-foot level, and I just scrape away pieces of soil as I go, you know, working my way down and verifying that I'm at depth, you know, finish it off with a pocket knife or the seed digger tool that I'm getting from wherever, um, and, and finish that off and, and verify that I'm, you know, I'm essentially, like I said, ground-truthing that planter to make sure that we're doing an effective job of really all those four buckets that I talked about, seed depth, uniform depths, seed to soil contact, seed pressure all around the seed, those, those four buckets that we focus on to really measure our effectiveness of planting. All right. When you talk about uh, seed to soil contact, this is one that's gotten a lot of attention and farmers ha have really worked hard at getting this right, but we've got such variable conditions through our field where some areas are still a little bit damp, other areas are already a little too dry. How do you do that? As you're going across a farm, you've got different soil textures, you've got uh, different moisture conditions. It's not easy. Well, so a couple different things. You know, um, seed trench creation is is probably first and foremost, right? If I look at that, that seed trench creation, and if I'm running too much uh, row unit down pressure, I can cause, obviously, some compaction in around that seed trench, in around that seed and ultimately cause some problems down the road. Um, so, so that's one thing I would look at. And then the second piece of that, you know, after I've created it, placed that seed in, we need to talk about closing that seed trench effectively. And, um, you know, we've got in-cab adjustability for that closing system. So our really skilled operators uh, do a good job of making those changes for some of those soil types by making those in-cab adjustments. Um, but uh, again, at the end of the movie, it's still going to be a, a ground truth situation where I need to really get out and focus on how well and how effectively I'm closing that seed trench as soil, you know, types obviously change, right? So, um, you know, that's, that's, that's a piece of it as well. Now I know going into this spring, things look much different on our farm and I, 
I just hear from farmers all across the country. There are some areas that are quite dry right now and expecting, wow, I'm going to be able to get in the field a little bit earlier. Conditions might be a little more optimal than how wet it was the past couple of years. It's going to change things. I know we're going to have to make some adjustments. So what are some of the things that that you're getting for questions as as you travel around the country, talk to farmers in a lot of different situations, I'm sure? Yeah, absolutely. So maybe a little less travel than we're, we're typically used to at this time of the year usually we're hitting some of these these farm shows and not doing that now but uh um still touching base with those guys but just remotely so a little different format but um you know questions kind of always remain around you know down pressure would be one of the row unit itself and you know we we look at down pressure in a drier condition uh probably gonna have to be increased a little bit right especially in those clay heavy clay soils um, we're going to need a little more down pressure to make sure we maintain that seed depth and that proper seed depth that we're looking for. Um, and, and, and that, you know, bodes then the rest of the pieces on the planet, the iron parts that I talked about, making sure that they're up to snuff and that uh, we don't have uh, disc openers that are war or in trouble uh, for all forming points to make sure we get that uniform depth at the bottom of that, that case itrial riser row unit. So all pieces of it as well that we need to look at. You know, you mentioned the the wearable parts, and I remember a few years back uh, at our field day, we were just talking with a couple of really high-yielding corn growers, David Hula and Randy Dowdy, and they were looking at some of our corn, and they said, huh, looks like your replaceable parts here on the planter, you probably should have replaced partway through the year, and we're just asking, well, what did you have for parts? And I said, well, we had brand new parts on at the start of the year. They said, yeah, but look at how big your farm is now. Are you running into that more with as farm size as farm size has grown that you've got guys you need to slow down a little bit and say, wow, with the acres you're putting through these row units, you really need to be stopping mid-season here and, and doing some replacement? Well, you see that, but it's typically calculated as acres per row. And, um, you know, most of those larger producers – running a larger planter so it, it's you know minimizing the acres per row but what we do see and probably more on the flip side of this is is the the speed um as we faster planting speeds you know that does change the the wear characteristics of really all those ground engaging components and so if i'm stepping down maybe from a 24 row to a 16 or a 36 back to a 24 row planter but i'm bumping up my ground speed Maybe not to that 10-mile-an-hour mark that we talk about often, but uh, maybe it's just uh, you know a mile or two an hour faster than I would have typically planted in the past. Uh, it changes those wear dynamics quite a bit. So um, that's something where we, we, we look at it pre-season, and, and then maybe that's uh, at crop changeover from whatever crop we're changing over to, we take a hard look at it again. Or for the larger acre operators, maybe even mid uh planting that first whatever that crop is right so something that definitely needs to be looked at more than just that one snapshot in time at the beginning of the season absolutely take a hard look at it throughout the season absolutely yeah it's just another reason to have a good relationship with your equipment suppliers and and talk through with those experts what do you see in what's what's the wear life like on each of these parts so so i can plan accordingly talking with david brennan with case ih david thank you so much really appreciate having you on today You bet. Thank you. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. 
It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash howler to learn more. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. Downtime during spraying can lead to huge yield losses. Keep rolling with the Pentair Hypro Force Field. This pump features a unique self-regulated chamber that allows the pump to run dry while eliminating cracked seals, so you can spray longer and more reliably. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases the seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. When it comes to leading herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. New Farm brings you Cheetah, a high-quality glufosinate herbicide made right here in the USA. Now for use on a wide variety of crops with glufosinate-resistant traits, including Enlist crops. Its novel mode of action will manage existing or emerging herbicide resistance and provide fast, effective results. This means you can focus more on profitability and less on weeds. New Farm and Cheetah Herbicide, here to help. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking about improving seed emergence. And I know one of the things we have to do to improve seed emergence is keep it alive. Get Jamie Locker with us right now with Syngenta. Jamie, how are you doing today? Great. Thanks so much for having me on. You bet. All right. So keeping the seed alive, that can be a challenge. We've reduced tillage. We've gone to systems where we've got lots of residue out there. And one of the downsides of no-till, a lot of positive sides, but one of the the downsides of no-till or reduced till is we typically have more insects out there. What have you seen the last few years, and what are some of the, the things that you're doing to, to get that seed out of the ground? Well, you know, first off, I, I think I would be doing a disservice to not say that, obviously, you've got to start with the right variety. But then after that, we've really got to take care of that variety by using a high-quality seed treatment, 
Um, this is where a product like Cruiser Max Vibrance has a distinct advantage. You know, we want something that's got a fungicide and an insecticide in it. Um, and not only that, but those products seem to offer some broad spectrum pest control um, to basically account for whichever pest may arise, um, depending on what kind of year we get. And so it's really important to be thinking about um, making sure that we put that step into place. You know, as an agronomist, there's nothing I can sell someone after the fact if they're losing stand because of a disease that's going to solve that problem. And oftentimes with insect pests, it's a little too late um, by the time we realize that that problem is occurring to try and react rather than be proactive. Yeah, that's for sure. And you mentioned the Cruiser Max Vibrance. We do get some questions about that Vibrance component. What are you seeing? What's been the big difference? Because it's a noticeably better seed treatment than what we had to use a few years back. Yeah, well, as far as fungicide is concerned, Vibrance is really a standalone product when it comes to controlling a disease, um, specifically Rhizoctonia. But in addition to that, even where we don't have Rhizoc, Vibrance provides a distinct rooting power that gives those plants an advantage to deal with some of those stresses that they might experience early season by being able to root down faster, get, get those roots spread out, capture more nutrients, capture more water, and it is something that we have proven um, that exists because of that particular active ingredient. Yeah, it's been pretty fun. And I know that you've got more fungicides coming down the line here with Viantis uh, just ready to get labeled here soon. I don't think it's been labeled yet, has it? Correct. It is still not registered. So we're in those um, initial phases of testing and and preparing for pre-launch, um, but we are excited about that product. Yeah, it's fun because there's so many new things coming down the road that are that are exciting for us. We, you know, we've got a lot of disease protection things there. You mentioned the insects as well. I, I saw a lot of seed corn maggots last year. Also saw a lot of corn rootworms out there, and I know there's going to be some more bugs. At least I'm anticipating more bugs. It's not a scientific thing, but it's been kind of warm this winter. <laughs> I think there's going to be more bugs. Yeah, no doubt about it. These uh, warm winters tend to lend themselves to um, not reducing some of those insect pest populations and allowing uh, allowing those um, you know those eggs to able to survive the winter and and cause us more problems early in the spring. And you know, I think one of the things I like to make sure that folks understand is having that high quality insecticide on that seed treatment is really important. But we also have to remind folks that um, anything we put on as a seed treatment. Um, especially when it's uh, fungicide, hard chemistry, or an insecticide, you know, they do have a certain period of time where they will be able to protect that crop. But then we've got to pick back up um, as that AI starts to um, dilute and not provide as much protection. So, you know, I think about even as we start to get into, say, that V4, V3 time frame, you know, we've got to be looking for um, scouting and, and making sure that pests that come after that fact we're taken care of. Yeah, that's that's a great point. And, you know, we're getting great protection on the seed and seedling. This is one of the important things we talk about a lot, whether you're planting early or you're planting later. You definitely want to use a high-quality seed treatment and protect that seed early. And then, yeah, don't don't take it for granted that, well, I got a fungicide out there. I'm good all year. No, you're not. <laughs> you're good for a little while, though. And you got to keep, keep scouting throughout the rest of the season, too. Talking with Jamie Lecker with Syngenta. Jamie, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Yeah, thank you. Got our friend Tony Wendler on right now with Farm Shop MFG. Tony, how are you today? 
I am excellent, Darren. How are you today? We're doing pretty good. You know, we're talking about emergence, and one of the things that I think about, and I know for our own farm when we're raising some seed beans, we've got to keep that seed and that grain in excellent condition so it has all the vigor that we can possibly keep. Get the humidity right. Get the moisture right. Yeah, we're getting questions about that now. Where, what are you getting for questions? I know you work with this every day of the week uh, in terms of keeping that grain in condition in the bins. In terms of beans, uh, the uh, a lot of what the guys with the seed beans, they're talking they want pastures in the uh, upper 12s to 14 range. Uh, that's what uh, all the companies, uh, such as uh, you, are asking for the uh, the growers to keep. The individuals who are uh, just storing commercial beans are uh, really looking to just try to have the best moisture for sale. So they're trying to get their target up there to uh, 12 and a half, 13, just to have more water to sell. Sure. And uh, in either event, it comes down to controlling the fans, controlling the uh, mostly the humidity, but the uh, the temperature also as, as uh, far as the air going into those bins to maximize the uh the moisture content. So whether we're adding a little bit of moisture or taking some out, uh, it becomes a, quite a challenge, and that's where the automation comes in. And so I get a lot of questions about my end zone fan control, and then uh, right along with that is using a uh, green temp guard to monitor the moisture inside the bin so we can, we can tell exactly what moisture we've actually got our grain to as well as having the automatic control of the fans to uh, put the correct air in there to give us the outcome we're looking for. Yeah, it is so important to, to take care of that grain once you got it. Okay, let's switch gears here. Let's talk about uh, getting good seed emergence. What are some of the things that you're seeing with the planter that are making a difference? Well, one of the things that uh, we really concentrate on is, is getting that uh, even emergence at the start. And a very key component is getting that uh, seed to soil contact getting the uh, the seeds uh, to have even emergence and, and getting everything to have the, the even seed-to-soil contact. What we work with is we've got our germinator closing wheel, which uh, we think is uh, one of the most awesome spiked wheels on the market, 50-grade uh, steel. I joke with farmers the way they're of these is trade their planter and buy a new set. Uh, we, just, we don't know how long they're going to take to wear them out. That's the number two reason why I would say people would like these. But the number one reason on our germinator is that we've got that uh, inner shoulder design, which when those spikes fracture the sidewall, that inner shoulder firms that soil back to the seed, just giving that perfect encasement of that seed and soil. And uh, getting the firmness so the moisture can wick up to it so we get the emergence. And uh, that's where the first big kick in yield is going to come if you get all those plants out of the ground as even as you can. And one one component pertaining to that, I've got a client in Texas who uh, put these on uh, over 6,000 acres this past year. And his comment to me at the end of the season was that he had the best yields that he's uh, ever experienced. And he's going to credit a lot of that to having the most even emergence he's ever had in career. That comes down to that uh, what that wheel did for him and uh, getting those seeds out of the ground. So that's uh, that's a lot of my conversations right now, and we are really kind of cycling up for uh, getting closing wheels out to uh, implement dealers, farmers, things like that. 
getting uh, getting the seeds, getting ready for this next season. Yeah, planting is uh, happening right now in some areas of the country, but but just a little ways off in the major uh, corn and soybean growing areas. We're talking with Tony Wendler with Farm Shop MFG. Of course, you can find out more information, uh, all the stuff that Tony was talking about here. Just visit their website, farmshopmfg.com. Tony, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Hey, appreciate it. You guys have a great day. Thanks. You know, Tony made a great point there, Brian, getting that seed to soil contact. And I know David Brennan talked about that earlier is so important. And when you've got variable conditions out there, I don't see any way to do it other than to get out of that tractor quite often and just check to make sure that everything's working back there. Well, yes, that's part of it. You got to have stuff set up right in the first place. And you got to look at the seedbed preparation as well. So obviously there's nothing different with no-till, but let's say it was strip-till or conventional till, there are certainly changes you could make there. But yeah, it's challenging. We'll continue talking about getting better seed emergence coming up right after this. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. It's about time. Applied at Planning, new Zyway 3D fungicide from FMC delivers foliar disease protection from planting to harvest. Active ingredient Flutriafol moves from the soil through the corn as it grows for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. For season-long protection, choose first-of-its-kind Enfuro Zyway 3D fungicide. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy, all the way down to the last drop. Agroliquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. 
Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're talking about improving seed emergence. And one of the things that was mentioned earlier in the show is, man, if you're going to spend the money to put the seed in the ground, you want to get as many of them as possible out of the ground. And not only that, you want them to come up evenly in your field. And that means you got to create an even environment for each seed. So not only spacing them evenly, putting them in at the same depth, getting the same amount of seed to soil contact, all those things. But but dealing with all that residue, too. We got Ty Fickenshire with us right now. He's down in Nebraska. Ty, thanks for joining us. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. All right. So a lot of guys get strip-till work done this fall, including our own farm. And I just love it when we do because the seed bed that we're going to be planting into, I know what that looks like. What did you see in your area? I know you were pretty dry in a lot of Nebraska this year. Yeah. Yeah, in our part we're we're very dry. Um, same thing though. Got you know quite a few of the of the strip strip to lake is applied or done. Um, you know probably you know fifty percent more than what we normally plan on getting done. So it's definitely a good fall. But yeah, the dry conditions there towards the end kind of wreak havoc on any any type of shank or or even coulter is just really hard on the equipment once we're kind of getting close to the end. <laughs> All right, we're getting some questions now with farmers who are saying, man, the soybean price has been fantastic. I might put some soybean acres in, and I've got some corn stalk residue to deal with. Have you had good success breaking that up in the spring, or is that something where if you don't get it done in the fall, it's it's just going to be too tough? Well, I'd say it depends on, on the spring we have. You know, the, through the winter months, we get good moisture on it. The residue really breaks down well. Um, you know, if we can get that moved in the fall, the only issue we really have is if we get some wind kind of blowing that residue back on top of the strip. Um, but, you know, getting that, the last two falls I've noticed, especially um, this fall, this fall worse than the last one was that the residue is really tough um, in this part of the world. And we kind of attributed it to the fact we had lack of rainfall to really get those stalks broken down very good um, in the fall. So, you know, the residue is easier to move in the spring, but if we can get that strip cleaned out in the fall, it's really what we're shooting for. Okay. Yeah. I, I love to try and do the most stuff we can in the fall, if, if at all possible. Right. I just, you yeah. know what you're dealing with at that point in the spring, like you said, who knows what we're going to get exactly. So talk to us a little bit about strip till and getting good seed emergence. Cause I've, I've heard guys say, man, I can make it too fluffy if we're dry. What's been your experience and, and what would you watch for in a strip to make sure that you're going to have good seed to soil contact and good emergence? Well, I guess there's there a few things. One of the first things we look for is just making sure we don't have a slice for that seed to drop down in. On um, the spring of 19, we saw that we had the wet soils. We saw some slices, and we saw some of that seed dropping four to seven inches deep. Um, hard to get uniform emergence when it's trying to, to fight from that deep. Um, you know, this last spring, what we saw was the stuff that stripped till in the spring. We maybe didn't have as much moisture in the soil as we wanted. Now, again, fortunately, this year, we have pivots. We can spin around and get some moisture into the in the profile, but... If there's not good moisture and if there's a slice, uh, we're kind of getting, you know, asking that seed to fight an uphill battle to get emergence and even emergence on top of that. Um, but on the other side of that, you know, if we have that residue cleared out of the way, we're going to have a warmer strip. You know, with a warmer strip, we get quicker um, germination. And with that quicker germination, typically more uniform emergence. So we're seeing um, year after year we see that now. Obviously, each year kind of presents its challenges on 
um, what we might be facing to get that seed out of the ground too. Yeah, there's a lot of challenges out there, no doubt about it. What do you see going into this spring? Are there some some new things that guys have been trying the last couple of years that are gaining in popularity in your area? Well, I, I guess overall it's just really strip tills gaining popularity. There's been a lot of new machines out in the countryside. Um, you know, a lot of guys going from no till to strip till. Um, that's probably been the big thing, and just a matter of getting you know getting a good seed bed. Um, as we see these high speed planters. That's become more more important. Um, the guys who run the high speed planters, they comment on how much uh, the, the planter rides once they're on strips versus you know no till or a conventional till situation. No, you you talk about that and and uh, speed. You mentioned the high speed planter, and I get thinking that's probably our only complaint that we've had with strip till is that it just takes a little bit of time to get that done, and we're we're all getting spoiled and getting used to running really big equipment and moving fast. What are you recommending when when you're looking at horsepower that you need, and and what kind of speeds do you like to run to do a nice job with a strip till rig? So I know, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think the industry standard is kind of 25 horse, horse per row. Um, with what we do, we recommend no less than about 30 horse per row. And the main reason is for the speed. Um, you know, we're shooting, when we're pulling a shank, we're shooting for that 7 to 7.5 mile an hour. When we're running a coulter, our target speed is 8 to 10. And what we see with that, we don't see near the issues with the trench, with the, the slice being made. And then also we see the soil fracturing a lot better. So we leave a uh, a finer seed bed to, to plant into more more of a garden situation than you know clods and, and slices and whatnot so um, we've kind of come to find out when we first started you know running that hell oh, four to five depending on soil four to five mile an hour we just weren't getting the soil condition the way we wanted to so with that higher that faster speed we're getting um, getting a lot better soil structure for the for the crop to come up into now I've measured on our own farm a number of years and people are really surprised to hear what kind of temperature differences we see in our strip versus in between. And you think about the residue in between, it really does keep things cold. Mm-hmm. A lot of times the first day we're planting, it's a seven degree difference in our strip versus out. Now, granted, that's going to change as the year moves on, but it's fairly cold in South Dakota in the spring. How about <laughs> in Nebraska? What do you see for a warm up in those strips versus in between the rows? Yeah, we've seen, um, when I've put the thermometer out, we have a little electric thermometer, and we'll see a five-degree difference um, from the strip versus the versus the residue in the middle. Um, you don't think five degrees makes a difference, but when you're talking 50 to 55 degrees, that's, you know, that's a world difference to that we'll see when trying to come up. Yeah, yeah, it's a big difference, no doubt about it. Uh, we're talking with Ty Fickenshire down in Nebraska. Ty, thank you so much, sharing a little bit about what's going on. Look forward to talking to you more as we head into the spring. You're welcome. Thanks. Right, Brian, Ty mentioned a number of things there, and and certainly our other guests did too. We've got a strategy when we get out in cooler soils for getting good emergence, and it's it's a lot more than just hey, let's let's just buy good seed and stick it in the ground. We want to make sure we're doing everything we can to keep disease and and insects from hurting our seed, and also to do the best we can to give some vigor to to those early plants and and help root development and so forth as as we get started. Yeah, but the first thing is this. Don't plant before the first crop insurance date. So I, I do see this just about every year where people are like, well, I think I'm going to push it. And I, it, it's fine to do a few acres. I'm all for trying new things. But I, what I always tell people is, look, the crop insurance companies 
are smarter than us because they have all the data. They literally have everybody's data. So they know when the planting dates were and when the failure dates were. So there's a reason why the crop insurance dates are there for first planting. And you want to follow that. If you do, the odds are pretty high that you're going to have success. Next thing is the soil's obviously got to be fit. If the soil's not fit, then there's no point in being out there. It's great to plant early, but if you're mudding it in or having some other problem, that's simply not going to work. I mean, it's not just about seed to soil contact. It's about, are you going to leave the best furrow there? Are you going to create any issues that later on could cause a problem? Number three, cold germination test. I talked about this a little bit earlier. We want as high as possible. We want our number to be as high as possible for the cold germination score, not just the warm germ. And I used to, we, we have an ag PhD testing lab and I used to do these tests almost 30 years ago. You know what temperature we do for the warm germ tests? 77 degrees, 77 degrees. Well, how often are you planting and the soil temp is 77 degrees? Well, and if you're in the northern United States or up in Canada, um, it's probably never happening where the soil temp is 77 degrees Fahrenheit. So I'm just saying get a cold germ test also. Great seed treatment, super important. Use multiple fungicides. Like on our farm, uh, almost any seed we plant, I don't care if it's corn, sorghum, wheat, soybeans, whatever it is, we got four fungicides on that seed. We're going to put insecticide on that seed. And then we're going to put a bunch of what we call naturals or biologicals on there. Generally speaking, we're going to put 30 or more. A lot of the seed we're going to plant this spring is going to have 60 or more biologicals on it. And I'm super excited about that. In addition, we'd look at a low rate of a low salt in-furrow fertilizer product with most crops, uh, some in-furrow insecticide and some in-furrow fungicide. All those things absolutely can help. You can plant into pretty cold temperatures if you can keep that seed alive and do a good job with it. Everything should be fine later on. Well, we're going to get to more of your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag right after this. Wherever you go. Whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farm your way. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. The only innovation that matters is the one I need. With NK Seeds, their R&D program actually listens to farmers like me. So I get solutions that solve my challenges. With the support to make them count. Because progress means pushing my potential. And success matters. Push your potential at nkseeds.com. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. 
New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. Agroliquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. It's not about how quickly you come out of the gate with nitrogen fertilizer, but how strong you finish the race. High Striker uses patent-pending chemistry to stabilize your nitrogen in a form that lasts longer in your crop's root zone. Because for high yields, your nitrogen must last longer, so you can finish the season stronger. Visit agrotechusa.com to learn why so many growers are going the distance with High Striker-treated nitrogen. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Been talking about improving seed emergence, but we've been getting a number of questions in here for the Ag PhD mailbag. And one that we were talking about earlier is one from James in Iowa, and he uh, he said, "Oops, sorry, didn't get that second soil test sent to you." So he sent it to us now. Uh, so just backtracking just a little bit, James had a piece of ground that was right next to where the home place was, and he said there was some some old buildings or something buried out in that field and the pH was way off in that one area where things had been buried. So I was wondering if the buried material was causing the issue or, or if it was just the subsoil is what we were thinking that it had gotten brought up. So Brian, he's got an area in the field that's a 7.7 pH. And then you look at the calcium base saturation is 86%. So I can see a couple of things there, but I mean, there's some good things too. There's lots of P and K. Well, no, there's lots of P, not lots of K. He's only at 3.3% base saturation it's K. better so than once, the rest of that field. I'm not saying it's not, but I'm just saying it's not good. It's still low. And we talk all the time about soil pH here on the show, and what it really is is it's giving you an idea that something's wrong in the field, and it's usually an imbalance of nutrients. So I like his phosphorus levels. They're good. He's got 59 available parts per million for P1. Uh, that's almost exactly what I'm shooting for. Okay, He's got pretty heavy soil, 30 for cation exchange capacity. But yeah, his base saturation K is only 3.3%. His sulfur is at 7 parts per million. His manganese, mang, manganese is at 2 parts per million. His iron's only at 18. His copper only at 1.4. And his boron only at 1. So there are a number of factors here that are really low. So if it was me, I would invest some money in some potassium, some sulfur, and some micronutrients. And you very well might see that soil pH start to come down a little bit. The other thing is it is really heavy soil. And, you know, I don't know how the land lays or anything else or how high the water table usually is. But the first thing I'm thinking is, do I need some tile out there? I just might. 
So other than that, yeah, um, and they and they have done some pattern tiling out there. So yeah, that's okay. one thing that they have been dealing with. And that you know that's a tricky thing too, James. When you know there's buried material out there, well, how much dirt is over the top of it? As you're going to be running tile, and you hope you don't find any surprises there. Yeah, and I don't know about this buried material thing, number one, and I don't know about Darren's comment earlier from subsoil. At first, I thought, yes, they could just be subsoils mixed with the topsoil, and that still could be. But when you've got organic matter levels in that area of 4.6%, that's not common with subsoil, okay? So could there be some subsoil mixed in there? Sure, but it it really, it doesn't look, like terribly bad or anything else i'm not super worried about that piece i think you can do just fine with yield just get that fertility up and i think you'll be in good shape all right thanks james really appreciate the questions there thanks for for getting back to us too uh one thing that came in peter sent this in and he said i didn't understand you guys were talking about continuous corn and saying that we needed to put some extra nitrogen out there so the microbes can break down the residue my understanding was when you had the right subsoil microbes present you didn't need nitrogen as nitrogen could actually hurt microbes no nope that's not true so there's the, a carbon to nitrogen ratio. And when you read up and study up on the carbon to nitrogen ratio, here's basically the gist of it. If there's too much carbon in relation to the nitrogen, those bacteria are going to work on converting that, that carbon over. But the problem is they're short on nitrogen. So they're, in effect, going to rob some nitrogen and tie some nitrogen up in effect. So you've got to put more nitrogen out there. And if you don't believe this, just try it a little bit and experiment with it. But what we have pretty much found is you want an extra at least 50 pounds, maybe 100 pounds of nitrogen, especially in year one of continuous corn. So if it's been corn, beans, corn, beans, and all of a sudden you decide, you know what, the corn price is really good. I'm going to go a second year of corn. That's when we would usually say throw at least 50 pounds of extra nitrogen out, maybe even 100. Now, once you get, let's say it's continuous corn for 20 years, do you need to do that every single year? Usually no. You do that for the first year, then the second year you can cut her back a little more, third year a little more, and eventually by year five, you don't need to be adding more nitrogen. There will be tie-up every year, but there will be enough coming back out of the old uh, residue breaking down that generally speaking, it works out fairly well. Okay, thanks for the for the comment and the feedback, Peter. Appreciate that. I uh, got this from Jeff, and he said, this farm is at an average pH of 7.7. We've taken two and a half acre grids and we plan to split those grid points going forward into this year. We want to raise our base saturation K up to 4%, but I'm concerned there's no hydrogen to be knocked off, which is the easy one. There's magnesium and calcium occupying a lot of space in the base saturation. So wondering, uh, I'm it's a longer question, but I'm, I'm assuming we're wondering what, how to do that. He said, in an effort to improve nutrient balance and flush them off, we're planning to add sulfur as AMS, yep. Yep. broadcasting that pre-plant, thios, yep. ammonium thiosol, three inches off both sides of the row, yep. and thiosol in the side dress with a total sulfur of 45 pounds. Yeah. What would you recommend to getting our potassium levels up? Put po- potassium on and put sulfur on. 
done. Well, here's one thing. We, we've done that. We've shown it. We've proven it. It works. So the, your pH is going to start to come down if you just get your K up. If you go, it, you got, he's got a lot of twos here for, for K. If you just get those up to four or above and you put out adequate sulfur and 45 pounds may sound like a lot to you, but it's really not that much. Uh, look at what your crop removal is going to be with a really good, let's say, corn crop or wheat crop or even soybean crop. He said crop. he's got, he's got yield goals as high as 300. Oh, my goodness. You need you need that 45 pounds just to feed the crop. So I'd be putting out more than that for sulfur. I might even consider 50 or 100 pounds. So I, I'm just saying you're, you're, not, you're definitely not overdoing it on the sulfur, okay? But we want to try to get nutrients in balance out there, and you're going to be in great shape. Here's the other concern I have. I don't see an iron level on your test. I don't see a copper level on your test. Uh, quite frankly, on most of the tests here, I see no micronutrient values. we got to make sure we're balancing the micronutrients as well. I also don't see sodium on here, and I really like to see sodium just to know if we've got any any drainage issues especially. And if our sodium numbers are creeping up, that can hurt things too. And it can also cause our soil pH to go up. So I'm looking at slightly incomplete tests here. But what I believe is if you just raise your potassium and raise your sulfur, in time you're going to see that pH easing down just a little bit as long as you have good drainage. All right. Now, the one thing that he does have is he's in an area that our average rainfall is 35 inches, and I do have supplemental irrigation I can put on six inches roughly per year with my pivot. So he's got some water, and he said the other thing is I've got sand and gravel deeper in the profile, oh, but okay. I've got a average of a 17 CEC up top. So yeah. it, it looks like there's some subsoil that will allow things to flush through. As long you as you working. can, yeah, as long as you can get it down to that subsoil. Because even people that have tile out there, if there are compaction issues, well, now we got a problem. So as long as you're doing everything you can to try to alleviate the compaction problems, and when I look at your calcium levels, they're pretty good. They're, they're, for the most part, they're kind of in the range that we're looking for, maybe even a little on the high side. So just looking at these factors and not knowing anything else about the field, it doesn't look like we're in bad shape on the drainage end of things or compaction, but it's certainly possible that something has happened here in the last couple, three years. All right. Thanks for the, the questions there, Jeff. I really appreciate that. This one comes from Diego down in Argentina. He said, I, I just want to know your opinion about high-speed planters and other high-speed equipment. In my experience with the no-till fields, they get more bumpy. I can't imagine planting 10 miles an hour plus in a no-till <laughs> field. Yeah. I'm, I'm just concerned about that. And it, it just happens to fit right in, Diego, today with our topic, which is getting improved seed emergence. And Diego's final question here, he said, are tractor companies worried about with our reduced tillage that that it could create some issues? Wait, create what issues? Well, just with running high-speed equipment across reduced oh. tillage. Oh, okay. Uh, well, of course, the equipment companies have to worry about everything. That's kind of their job is to figure out how we as farmers overcome all of our problems. But yeah, they're, they're designed for a lot of those things. So if you look at the equipment today versus what we had even 10 years ago, the planters are dramatically better. And the high-speed stuff, Let's put it this way. Even if you don't want to run high speed, you're going to find that you should get better placement of that seed. So we're excited as we go into the future. There are some other things coming down the pike equipment-wise that we think are going to be really good as well. 
because everybody's dealing with this. They want to go to wider equipment. They may have slightly rougher fields, but, but you know, like we said earlier in the show, if you can create a good seed bed, now it gives you a, a little more leeway. And now hopefully you're going to be able to place that seed better regardless of the planter you have. But yeah, we do like the high speed planters. I also agree with you. I don't know about driving 10 miles an hour, but at least going a little faster would be nice. Thanks for the question, Diego. Thanks to everyone who sent in questions today. We really appreciate that. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.